0: The Spin-Off Podcast Network Kia ora, I'm Jane Yee and welcome to This is Kiwi, a podcast series brought to you by Kiwi Bank and The Spin-Off Podcast Network. In this series, I'll meet with incredible New Zealanders who've achieved remarkable things, uncovering what makes them tick and the influences that have helped to shape their ideas. Most importantly, This Is Kiwi will bring you knowledge for better, the incredible power of determination, passion and self-belief that we can all learn from and apply to our own lives every day. So join me on this unique journey as we celebrate the Kiwi spirit and learn what it takes to make a difference. This Is Kiwi, where ordinary people do extraordinary things. Today, I'm joined by Kendall Flutie, co-founder and co-CEO of Banker, which is groundbreaking software used in schools to help empower students towards a future of financial well-being. Kendall's success with Banker is super impressive, and she's doing amazing things for Tamariki and Rangatahi across Aotearoa and the world. Her work in this space has seen her awarded Young Māori Business Leader of the Year at the Aotearoa Māori Business Leaders Awards in 2018, and as a business, Banker was a recipient of the Global Inclusion Award at the G20 Summit in Berlin. I adored my time with Kendall. She exudes a very specific type of ambition, one where the measure of success isn't profit, but following her passion for helping kids and creating a better future for them. And despite her success, Kendall has this generosity about her that's so positive and welcoming. She's also super tenacious, and I feel like the combination of these two traits is quite unique in the entrepreneurial space. If you want to learn about what it means to be intentional with your finances, but moreover in all aspects of your life, then settle in, because Kendall is living her co-papa, and her wisdom in this area is something we can all benefit from. You're about to be inspired, I promise. Here's Kendall Flutie on This is Kiwi. Kilda Kendall, thank you so much for joining us on This Is Kiwi. Kilda, I'm, thanks for having me. I'm quite intimidated by successful young people, I have to say. It makes me feel like I just haven't done enough with my life. <laughs> and your CV is pretty impressive. Too kind. We're gonna talk a bit about ambition today, um, as well as some kind of money stuff. That's the world that you mm. operate in and something that is obviously really important to you and something you feel is really important for other people to know about as well. So it all makes sense. Uh, But what does ambition mean to you?
1: Mm, What does ambition mean to me? To me, ambition is where you set your sights, how far the horizon that you aspire for is, how bold your dreams are. Um, And there's no right or wrong answer with how far you crank that dial up. Um, But it's really about yeah, where you set your sights and what you aspire to, really. Oh,
0: it's interesting because I um, looked up the definition of ambition before oh, we, we okay, came. You're it. more prepared than me. Well, you know, I mean, on a very basic level, like my understanding of ambition, I, we all know what ambition is, mm. but I always equate it to success. Interesting. When actually, it's more about the desire, mm. right? Mm. And a strong desire can
1: lead to a strong drive.
0: Is that true for you? Do you feel like you've always been an
1: ambitious person? That really resonates with me, that definition you've just provided, because to me, success is a byproduct of something else. Um, so yeah, I think I always have been ambitious. I think that ambition has probably surfaced and displayed itself in many different ways that inherently I don't think everyone observing my journey would have maybe classified me as ambition. Right. But when that byproduct of success comes out, then, yeah, it's kind of easier to associate someone with ambition.
0: Yeah. I mean, when someone's successful and you can put that lens on it, you're like,
1: yeah, of course, yes. they're an ambitious
0: ambitious person. Mm. But what are some of the ways that you mentioned that you might have been ambitious that people might not have recognized that that's what that was, you know, right from when you were growing up, I guess?
1: Yeah. For me, I've always loved learning. So I'm always really happy being um, a newbie to a craft or taking those first few steps in a space. And it may not mean that I end up to be the master carpenter or the expert linguist, but I definitely enjoy that experience of learning. And to me, that in itself is ambition. That's growing yourself as a human and exploring new and novel spaces, which a lot of the time, new can be really scary. It can be really scary. And there's
0: a certain safety in the path that's been trodden before, Totally, and a career like say in accountancy—that <laughs> <laughs> you could classify as you know a nice, safe, reliable career—and yeah. uh, that's something that you
1: trained in and worked in for a short while. In a short while. I think I padded out a little bit on my LinkedIn because <laughs> um, that's how short it was. Yeah, you're right. So growing up at school, I never really knew like, what I wanted to be when I grew up. I didn't have that nice, tidy um, career title. Uh, And so I sort of leaned into my passions, which meant I had a really eclectic mix of subjects. And then the day to decide what happens after school came along. (sighs) Yeah, it it comes around (laughs) whether you you want it to or not. Um, And I kind of just followed the herd and leaned into a generic um, university degree, which was commerce. and ended up at the end of that degree, still not having that job title. And so I spat out the other end as an accountant, which wasn't a terrible choice. Um, sorry to all the accountants out there. <laughs> My sister's an accountant. Yep. Love your sister. My um, love her, too. For her. <laughs> It just wasn't the right thing for me, sure. right? Um, and so confronting that and realising that and making a decision and taking action around that quickly was ultimately a great choice, but a very challenging thing to, to, to walk through.
0: Kendall, that's a really bold thing to do in your kind of first job, your first foray into the world where you're supposed to be as far as society is concerned, betting in Mm. um, to recognise that something
1: is not for you and just chucking it in. Yeah, yeah. And it came back to having my own definition of success because I think I'd just been using and utilising a generic definition of success or maybe my perceived idea of success for those closest around me, Um, which great that that's their model of success. But if that's not right for me, I'm never going to be successful in that world or that space. So yeah, I short-circuited my midlife crisis, got it out of the way in my (laughs) early 20s, um, redefined success and then sort of from there on, I don't want to be too dramatic, but my life definitely changed.
0: Did you have a lot of pressure... From the people around you, you know, when you're tossing up a decision about Mm. like I've got this good stable job, uh, it's not 100% what I want to do. It's maybe roughly in sort of an area I want to be working in or that I care about. Um, But I know it's not the job for me. I think, you know, early on you can have Mm. uh, Mm.
1: family, friends, uh, maybe mentors who are like just stick in it. Definitely. I, I think it was worse in my head than in reality. Right. I was telling myself that that's what they thought without validating that with the person themselves. Um, but I did feel this weight because people, my family, had supported me, teachers, friends, to yeah. get to that point, both financially, um, you know, making sacrifices to ensure that I got a great education uh, and and then also, you know, just emotionally supporting me, driving me places. So I did feel a responsibility to them and I did feel like I was letting people down. But ultimately, I thought that I'd be letting them down more if I woke up one day as a 40-year-old still in that career path and felt sick in my stomach walking to work, knowing that wasn't the right fit for me. So yeah, I ruffled a few fears, I guess, when I did finally hand in the resignation. Probably no more. It was Mostly, most of the pushback came from internally within the organization because that was the right place for them. And they didn't sure. understand no. <laughs> why I'd be leaving so quickly but no my my family and my friends and the people i care about the most they um they really respected my decision it's
0: fascinating you say about that perception of what you imagine mm. people are going to think how much of that in your role that you're in now and the various steps along the way i mean it doesn't sound like you let it stop you from doing what you needed to do mm. but have there been times that have really you've really seriously I guess doubted your decisions based on what you think other people would want for you or for their, themselves.
1: Ah, uh, not so much these days. Um, the example of yeah, leaving accounting was probably the longest lag time. I'm an early quitter now, proudly so. Wow. Um, I, I actually a mentor of mine sent me through this awesome article earlier this year when. I was at a place that, I mean, I've been working really hard, probably fringe burnout stage. Um, So I was throwing everything on the table. Um, Everything's up for debate. And she sent me this great article that talked about an entrepreneur needing the perfect blend of narcissism and imposter syndrome. And I certainly (laughs) don't want to be labeled with either of those. (laughs) But the sentiment is really true, I think. So, yeah, there's definitely times where I doubt myself and I can let critics' voices or the voices of those I love influence my decisions but I also think I have this unwavering self-belief that is borderline like narcissistic <coughs> potentially but I think if you're if you're on a path where you fundamentally think you can change the world through what you do you have to lean a little bit that of way of course um so where the pendulum swinging any day um maybe you're up for a different kindle but no I, I don't I really don't think I do let others influence me these days at least
0: It feels like, you know, what I'm reading from the short time that we've had together so far is that you have like quite a good sense of self and ability to self-reflect. Definitely. And that helps you to kind of figure out what's best for you and trust your gut and so on.
1: Yeah, and and that's a journey in itself. Um, So I think leaving my my midlife crisis, um, that really was around identity and figuring out what success means to me, what purpose I want to seek in the world who I am, yeah. like all these big questions. Huge questions. And I think, but once you have those foundational pieces of self and that bedrock to build from, the the foundation's really solid.
0: I'm still figuring that out for myself <laughs> and I'm coming up to 45. So I think you you timed your midlife crisis oh,
1: well. <laughs> learning every day still, for sure. Yeah. We
0: all are and we always will continue to, which is why it's so great for everyone listening to this because I think If there's one thing I've learned from this podcast is that there's so much more to know and that, um, you know, we'll we'll talk about banker in a moment, Mm. talk about, you know, we've talked a little bit about where you were and let's talk about where you are now. But, you know, there is, there's a lot that we can gain from other people and their experience and their knowledge and wisdom, even if we're not working in the finance space, you know, like there's. Mm. It's just, that's definitely my big takeaway from this, this whole series is that everyone has got something to offer. And I'm really excited to hear more of what you've got to say. We're just at the beginning. So Banker, tell me about Banker, because this is a, you know, it's a successful business, but it's also what you would call a social enterprise. Mm. It's got purpose. Tell Definitely. us about it. It's
1: got bucket loads of purpose. So Banker is a financial education company and we make simulative software that teaches, at the moment, kids about money. And our software is used in schools all throughout Aotearoa and in Australia as well. Um, so when I talk about simulative software, I mean we kind of let kids experience money and an economy in a safe environment. So they have their own bank accounts, they are opening term deposits... They're buying their first homes. If, wow! <laughs> if they're really killing it, they might buy a, a flash car. They may become an Uber driver or a rideshare driver. It's just an online financial world that they can practice money behaviors within.
0: What's the response been like with kids? Because I have three children, so I'm really keen to know. I when I talk to them about um, you've got to brush your teeth, otherwise, when you get older, you're going to have to have big dentist bills, and you're going to have to sort that out, and I'm not paying for it. And they'll be like. I'm going to be a YouTuber and right. I'm going to be so rich I can just buy a whole new set of teeth. So there's just this real, even when I'm trying to what I think is embed money skills <laughs> into them or an understanding, it's just like missing the mark.
1: Well, you're doing a great job. Talking about money is actually one of the most powerful things you can do with your loved ones and your friends. Maybe not as a threat the way that I'm doing it, though. Yeah. Maybe, <laughs> maybe not. Um, that's good self-awareness there. <laughs> um, but what I guess what Banker does is provides a wider context so we actually have, in Banker High, our secondary school platform, we actually have a career path of social influencer. So they, if they chose that right. career path, they would see their peers who maybe chose um, the military or farming or um, lawyer or accounting career path. Um, maybe, maybe in some instances, there's a little randomness in there. Um, maybe move up the career ladder a bit faster than them because the reality is most influencers don't make it Oh, right. Yeah, exactly. So um, the response from kids, generally speaking, is um, really mixed and interesting. There are some kids that just take to it. The competitive nature will hook them. They'll find a bit of purpose in it. Maybe they used to be shy and now they have a reason for engaging with their peers. Um, And then we've got, yeah, other kids that they exhibit their creativity, they exhibit their generosity there's a little bit of something for everyone, really. Mm, mm.
0: You know, I think uh, there is so much, you know, again, something else I've learned from through this podcast and from listening to people like yourself, is so much freedom that can be gained in, um, from financial literacy. Mm. There's so much opportunity, um, I think particularly, you know, for kids where those conversations are not happening at home at all. And that's not to point the finger at parents, at there's a, a thousand reasons why those conversations might not be happening. I know that when money's tight, I f- will say to my kids, oh no, we can't afford takeaways this and then they will be worried about money. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I don't feel like I should be talking about it. What are some of the ways that we can, I guess, um, what are the positive ways that we can talk about money that we can set our kids up well, uh, to kind of have those conversations?
1: I think you've really honed in there on a key concept, which is the continuum of transparency when it comes to finances. And to me, it's all about age and stage appropriateness. You certainly don't want to be unloading and burdening a really young child who has no financial control um, on any financial concerns or issues you have and then potentially traumatise that kid and give them financial anxiety themselves because that can show up as an adult um, in many different ways in many different negative financial behaviours as well. Um, but you also don't want to shield them too much from that too when they are capable and confident enough um, to have those conversations. And we, you know, our software is implemented in primary schools and Kūra Kōpapa throughout New Zealand starting as young as kids six years old. Um, so the kinds of conversations are really contextual to their age and stage. Wherever possible, if you can give them some control over finances, that's a great thing because they take ownership really seriously. Mm. So if it's a 50-cent coin a week or a a 20-cent coin a week, that's fantastic and you give them some choice about what they do with that money. Or if it's $10 because they're contributing to the whanau in some way um, that is actually adding value and we can afford that, then that in itself is really empowering for that child to make choice, um, not a, not just to spend money, but actually about how they might contribute to the final back in return to and save for bigger goals. So, yeah, you're, you're totally right to be thinking about not creating concern for your child today, but you don't want to exclude them from the financial mm-hmm. fold at the detriment for them tomorrow when they actually do need to be making these decisions on their own. Yeah, and I guess that's
0: where Banker can come in, right, can come into a space where there's a little bit more... Um, equity of accessibility in the classroom where if kids aren't getting that that's conversation it. at home, that kōrero is not happening there, it can at least happen
1: in the classroom. That, that's the whole premise of Banker. I think um, it's an in- intergenerational solution to solve inequities in our households. And, um, you know, that that whākāro around parents not necessarily talking to their kids that resonates with me because the language of money has been lost, mm. um, and that's an intergenerational issue. And so, we're not going to reclaim that overnight. So, the idea of a banker being homed and housed and loved and growing in schools is really intentional because it's an equal playing ground for, for all of our rangatahi and tamariki throughout Aotearoa. Yeah, so you've got,
0: I mean, a whole, every culture has a different relationship with money mm-hmm. as well and with whether or not talking about it is taboo and so on, how much is Banker uh, geared towards the real-life experiences that Tamariki Rangatahi will have in New Zealand?
1: Yeah, it's it's largely Aotearoa-centric. Mm. Um, so we really want to prepare them for the realities of what they will face. So we've contextualised our, albeit they're all fake, our products and solutions, um, our interest rates we've had to, hike things up a little bit (laughs) in this um, cost of living crisis that we currently face, Um, a bit of inflation in the housing market too. So yeah, it it does reflect the realities of our financial system today, but um, I'd be remiss if I didn't take the opportunity to try and make it a little more aspirational and try and turn the dial in ways that I think this generation can really influence change for our financial markets. So an example of that is how does generosity show up in our financial system? How can we put that at the fore when we can afford to be generous? How can we take a slightly different view of finances and financial success? So, for example, our leaderboards, there's lots of different ways to win and be the top of leaderboard. It's not just having the highest net worth. It actually is, you know, excelling at your career. That's a fantastic financial outcome. Mm -hmm. Whether your career pays you $20,000 or $200,000, that's something to be proud of. Um, so, yeah, we definitely sneak in a few Easter eggs like that that hopefully will support this generation to nudge the financial system of tomorrow into a better place for everyone.
0: How many schools are you in? And how do you, how do you, you know,
1: do you select schools? Do they come to you? How does it work? Um, in New Zealand, we're in over 2,000 schools. Wow. Um, yeah, so we've been really fortunate to work with over 60% of our primary and intermediate schools in Kura. Um, and around a third of all New Zealand secondary schools use our tool, which is, yeah, it's a real privilege. Um, thanks to our champion partners, Kiwi Bank, our primary school solution, Bank Primary, is actually completely free. So there's the main barriers for schools picking it up is really if they feel they've got the time mm-hmm. and they have the technology as mm-hmm. well. So there are some barriers that need to be overcome there in terms of devices. Um, but largely our teachers hear about us through word of mouth, which is something I'm really proud of from a product perspective, but also I guess the brand itself. How do you keep
0: motivated? Um, because I have zero doubt that there have been plenty of challenges along the way.
1: Definitely. Motivation to me is intrinsically tethered to the vision and the purpose and it just scaffolds right down into something that I can see and feel and is tangible. So the origin story of Banker is that Quit my job in software, um, in accounting. I'd retrained in software and absolutely loved it, found my space. And I was back home in Ōtautahi, because I was living in um, Pornicky at the time, visiting my family, and I have younger brothers. They're a lot younger than me. And so it was a simple conversation with my then 12-year-old brother where I realised that this kid could not only talk about black cats and Dan Carter, but he also wanted to know about our progressive tax system And investment strategies. His words, not mine. Um, And I knew from that moment that because of the financial education he was getting in his class with my now co-founder, his life and his financial trajectory was changed forever. Uh, So it's moments like that that keep me motivated. And I get to see them every time I step foot into a bank classroom, um, every time we receive a little bit of feedback from a teacher or a parent, uh, recently, we caught up with a, one of Banker Primary's original graduates. So, you know, we started in 2015. So she's now uh, through her university experience herself. And she was talking about her real-life context and the things that she had done and the choices she would made and how that was informed by her experience on Banker. So all of those are motivators. And there are also little bits of the puzzle that reaffirm to me I can change the world and banker can change the world and actually anyone can change the world. You just have to have that determination, that perseverance and do a little bit every single day. The other thing that motivates me, which is the flip side of the optimism, um, is actually I really like it when people tell me no. (laughs) Like I really like being told that I can't do something and I probably was a terrible child and you should get my mum on, she can ratify all of this. When someone says no and I fundamentally disagree with it and we've sort of logicked it out and we're down to the objective stuff, to me that isn't no, it's more prove me wrong. Yeah. And I find that really motivating in itself. There will be
0: people listening who definitely are in that where Mm. they know that they're not in the right job or they're just purely working to pay the bills, mm-hmm. um, and there is no plan B. I mean, you had no plan B, but you were, you, had, you were privileged enough to be able to make that decision. You had made put a little money aside. Yeah. Um, for some people, that's not practical, depending on where they are in their life.
1: What advice would you give them? That's so tough. Um, I think you've picked up on it. I am a bit of an optimist. So if there's any way to make your current situation better, like a tough conversation with a boss... Um, then I would be leaning into those options. Otherwise, I think play a long game. And I do think over longer horizons we have more possibilities. And it may be that you have to grind it out and make sacrifices, um, meaningful, significant sacrifices today and next year and in year two and year three. But I hope that there is a path for change for everyone, especially when we ask for help. That can be one of the hardest things to do when we're in those situations. It's very easy to individualize and internalize that stuff. But I found the more help I've asked, the more offers I've got, generally speaking. I don't even have to ask for help. It's annoying these days. (laughs) People are throwing help at me. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I think stretching out the horizon and taking control of what you can today if there is control that you haven't yet asserted.
0: Yeah, I'm really uh, curious to know what inspires you outside of work, what mm. you do to bring balance into your life because balance. I bet you're doing and thinking and talking about money a lot. Yeah. What else do you do? I
1: – balance. I don't know do if I believe in balance. <laughs> I I don't see work in life as like binary separate things. I am super passionate about what I do. I've built up friends in the industry and met people with similar ambition levels, you know, chipping away at their own problems, making change in the world in other ways. So my my personal life, and my work life are very naturally and inherently interrelated. And I actually love talking about money. Like it's an interest area, it's a hobby. But I do do things outside of that, um, not necessarily for balance. I think more to reaffirm um, what I do in my day-to-day, so, for example, at Banker, my role is co CEO. What does that really mean? Who knows? It spits up something different every day. But at the highest level, I am both elite. I am a leader. I, you know, get to set strategy and decide on the future. I'm a manager. I manage a team. Well, I've got a team of eight that I manage. Um, and obviously, um, my co CEO manages other people. Um, and so I get to support them and their ambitions and manage their workflow quite in a hands-on way. And then I'm a doer as well. I've got to get stuff done. We're a small team and we've got big, bold ambitions. Um, so I think one thing that I need as a fuel for me in my day-to-day is creativity. So when I'm not getting enough of that from work, I'm not on the tools enough, I don't get to play up here strategizing. I'll lean into that at home and I actually love Playing the guitar, I'm awful, but oh, I love doing it.
0: Me too, exactly the same. It's so good, isn't it? It's What an outlet.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's.
0: I guess that is the kind of thing, I guess balance is an ad- objective kind of a term, right? Um, and how you framed it is made me think of something I heard you say in another interview where you just very casually mentioned about the job that you get to do now. And I think that's really interesting phrasing of it Mm. and speaks to this idea that you are doing something that you love, that it is a privilege to be able to do what you do and something um, that you really acknowledge
1: the position you're in is something that is bloody great. It is awesome. It's, bloody hard as well and it's like every day isn't rainbows and butterflies yeah. for sure but on the whole it's awesome and I love it and um so long as I keep enjoying it and keep loving it and feel like I'm the best person for the job at that time it will continue to be that way but I, I, th- I think you're right getting at the heart of your question ensuring that I do have you know more going on in my life is important so yeah things like guitar I've this year I have been focusing on creativity intentionally outside of work, so I've started writing a couple of books. That's been fun. One's about a pukiko. I'll keep you posted. The other one's sort of like low fantasy, interconnectedness of everything. That's the big book, and that's taking some time. Um, otherwise, I like walking. My a project, big project person. My husband helps me finish my projects, but we've, um, like, built two camper vans together. Wow. Um, we then get to enjoy those camper vans, see all of Aotearoa, or at least Te Waipo Namu, where we're based. Yeah, I've always got something on the go. What do you
0: think is the most challenging scenario you've found yourself in over mm, your career? The ones I can talk about on here. The um, ones you can talk about.
1: Um, do you know what? I had a challenge last week that felt insurmountable and then you sleep on it for like three nights. You know, that was nothing. So time is an awesome equaliser mm. with challenges because in hindsight, a lot of the things I thought were challenges were just, built, again, built up in my head to be something that wasn't a big deal um, and I was very capable of navigating. One challenge that has stood the test of time, though, as a a real meaty challenge is I'm going to rewind the clock right back to 2015. Bank has just started. The important part of a a purpose-driven business is that you also make money. Mm. And although I can speak passionately about the impact because I inherently and innately believe in what we're doing and that is making a difference in the world, I also really believe in making a profit. Like dead set, want to be a profitable, successful business because you can then use that profit as fuel for purpose. Absolutely. So the two stand hand in hand. So I've rewound you back to 2015. We're not really making money. Our business model is user pays. So I I shared before that it's now completely free for at least our primary schools. Secondary schools pay, but they've got the budget for it. Um, It was user pays, and we were seeing this perverse uptake of who was choosing and able to buy our product. And I think you can imagine it's maybe – the schools in the higher socioeconomic areas or the private schools were using our product. And I'll go into these schools in other areas that are assumptive-based, they're in need of our solution. And they say, yeah, we would love to use it, but I've got this problem, I've got this problem, I'm buying, you know, shoes, I'm doing this. And we literally can't afford, it was $2 a student a term. They couldn't afford $8 per student per year, Um, which is tough and very, but very believable Mm. in that context. So we needed to shake up our business model And at the same time, we had been approached by a number of businesses and we kind of been batting them off because we wanted to figure out our own stuff first and make sure that we were building our product and our company in the right way. Um, But around the time that with a lack of profitability and the conversations with external people, they were colliding and an offer came across our desk for partnership. Um, And it was a big Australasian organisation, and suddenly we would have been able to... My f- personal financial runway was running out as well. We'd afford to keep the servers on, um, pay our own rent, maybe some more two-minute noodles. <laughs> like it was an, a nice financial cushion to keep our dream alive. Mm. Um, but going into that meeting and I met with the board and I met with the exec team, and it just felt again in my gut that these weren't the people for us. And it was less about the purpose and more about the profitability, and it was a, it was a marketing exercise. It wasn't a purpose exercise. I get value exchange in business. I'm not naive, but that wasn't what was leading it. We weren't fundamentally, we weren't values aligned as organisations. Right. So we walked away from that deal, um, and that was really hard. That was confronting because that was a re, a reaffirmation of our values and how we behave, and we were going to live and die by that, and we could have died. Um, And the story obviously has a happy ending. Here I am years years later and as it turned out, um, like fortuitously, a couple of weeks later we had an awesome partner pop on the scene who we'd also been talking to um, and we started talking to to them about what what a a real partnership could look like and we couldn't have picked or have been picked by a, a better partner and they've really championed our success in Aotearoa over the last decade, um, and that's obviously Kiwi Bank, but that was that was challenging. And I was young, and I was always the youngest in the room, and um, and you know I probably ticked a couple of other boxes in the room as well. Sure. Um, and to feel like maybe I was making the wrong choice, and everyone's telling you you're making the wrong choice, that was tough. But yeah, in hindsight, I'm really glad I I stuck by my guns there. What was it about kids?
0: You know, like mm. what well, was it about kids that you decided? Okay, these are the people that we need to we need to help. Or you know, there's so many different ways that you can kind of make an impact on the world, I guess. Um, but kids and money, what was what was the draw there? I think
1: money. That's that personal passion. Always been super curious about it. So naturally inclined to lean that way. In terms of kids, I just saw it. I saw it in my little brother, and I was like, dude, you're awesome. And what if more people could have conversations like this or moments like this with their brother or their sister or their daughter or their nephew and niece? Um, and that's kind of what stuck in my head. Then after I got super obsessed with financial literacy, I did a lot of research and it turned out that I'm kind of starting with the the easiest sample. So kids don't yet have inherent um, past financial experiences and they don't have ingrained financial behaviours, better or worse. It's kind of like you got the blanks, like, and they're easiest to educate and influence in all the good ways.
0: Yeah. A lot of people I know that I have many times in my life had what I think are just great ideas that mm-hmm. could either make me a lot of money or change the world or hopefully both, you know. But they're mostly just little fantasies and daydreams. Yeah. Um, you've made yours a reality. How Do you have any advice for people who are kind of just like mulling stuff over in their head and thinking, oh, that's a great idea, but I just don't think I, – I don't know where to start and how to make it happen?
1: Yeah, I've got some tough love up front, um, and then I'll be the more um, softer, support. But that's mum. so important <laughs> to be realistic, right? Yeah. So ideas are free. I get the pleasure of receiving hundreds of emails from – entrepreneurs in the making and I will always take time to talk to them and one of the things I tell them especially those at the very very early stages is that I meet with lots of people like you and everyone has a great idea and they inherently are great ideas an idea doesn't have to influence 100 million people to be great if an idea changes the life of my 88 year old grandma I'm happy that's awesome that's a great idea Whether it's worth your time and worth resourcing is another question. But the idea in itself inherently can be a great thing. The the falling out of love with your idea is really important. You will be obsessed. You'll have your blinkers on. You'll think it's great. It is great. Let's just put it on a shelf and call it great. Fall out of love with it and then determine whether you still want to pursue it. Because if you, you know, it's very easy to be obsessed with something when you're infatuated in love with it. But when relationship gets a little rocky, are you going to want to hang around? Decide that. And if you're still committed, then you just need to take one step. One step will feel the second step. And then before you know it, you'll be running. Most people never take that first step. Right. And the step is different for every business context. It could be open an Instagram account. It could be tell a friend that you're doing this thing. It could be Text your brother's teacher. Totally. It could be build a prototype, it could be get a landing page together. It could it could be a million different mm. things, but you do need to take the first step at some stage. Otherwise, write a book. Write a book about that idea. It's it's just it is it's fantasy otherwise.
0: Wow, that's really sound.
1: So that but that's the tough love. Okay. Yeah. Um in terms of the advice around getting going in a more positive way. I think um, there are people out there to help you as well. I got so much support when I was getting started. It's ridiculous. You can email anyone almost in New Zealand and they'll say yes to catching up with you. It's outrageous and so kind and so generous. And I think that's the virtuous cycle. I think all of us have had that. So if you're serious about it, find someone to help you.
0: Awesome. That's really great advice too.
1: You've been so insightful
0: and you've got so much wisdom for someone who's so young. What are the... Ultimate goals you have for
1: Banker, I know you want to
0: change the world. How do you yeah. see that happening? I
1: want Banker to be considered the home of the global home of financial education. So right now we're focusing on rangatahi and we're doing a kick-ass job of that um, in terms of New Zealand and an Australian context. We've got further afield to go. There are countries with worse financial literacy realities than Aotearoa. And that's also really motivating because that means we are a successful exporter as well and that brings cash into our domestic economy and we get to build up our local um, talent pool too. Um, But we also want to grow outside of that too and support those who never got the financial education Mm -hmm. that they deserved in school. Most of us didn't. Some of us have awesome stories about... um, post-bank savings scheme and bring 20 cents along to school but there's also in generations that never learned anything formally about money mm-hmm. um, and we believe we can do that all through technology and specifically through simulative technology where we can make mistakes and feel safe about experimenting with our personal finances until we have the skills we need to deploy them in the real world.
0: Kind of like floaties when you're learning to swim, right? 100%. You can feel safe,
1: but you get that real experience yep. as well. Yeah, and you need it; otherwise, you don't take it seriously. You need to make mistakes that feel real, so you change your behaviour. Yeah, I love
0: this idea that um, by doing what you're doing with Banker in schools with the Rangatahi with tamariki, is exactly the kind of thing that will help avoid people getting into the situation like our person, our hypothetical person I mentioned who like you, knew they weren't in the right job Mm. but didn't have a plan B. Mm. If we can teach everyone while they're really young how to kind of manage themselves and their finances all the way through, hopefully they'll be in that position.
1: That's it. And I think it's important to remember, though, that everyone – definition of financial success is different. Mm. So my dream, the future state that I actually feel I get to duck in and out of, when I go into bank classes, I kind of feel like we're in the future um, where everyone's informed, capable, and confident to make the financial decisions and actions that they need to thrive. But this future state is actually around financial well-being where you can divine, define financial success however you want and then you've got the toolkit, the skills, and the confidence, and the capability to bridge that gap, mm. to get to that destination. And it might be that, yeah, you earn a million bucks a year. It might be that you have live a life of purpose through your work. It might be that you stay at home and get to pursue your creative talents and learn, like that's a dream state for some people too. Mm. Um, and, and I think we are building that future brick by brick, student by student. We, we are getting there.
0: If there's one thing Kiwi could do to make us start to achieving their goals this week, what would that be?
1: think it is to be more intentional with your dollars and your money. Give every dollar a job and don't let it run off on its own when you see something that you like, because every single dollar needs to have a purpose. And that purpose is to achieve financial success, whatever that means to you. Amazing. Kendall, thank you so
0: much for coming in. Thank you for sharing your huge wealth of knowledge. I'm so excited for everything that uh, lies ahead for you, and I can't wait to see Banker completely take over the world for the better of everyone. <laughs> um, this is Ambition. This is Kendall Flutie. This is Kiwi. The Spin Off Podcast Network.